0: This is the Blaze Radio On Demand.
1: You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Halliwell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I'm here today with Dr. Robert Jeffers, pastor of First Baptist Dallas and the author of Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. How are you doing today? Great to be with you. Thanks. Well, thank you for sitting down with me. So i got a lot of questions for you. Good. We we have to start with the book. Okay. Um, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven.
0: Why did you write it? Well, there was one statistic that just grabbed me by the throat, which was the impetus for the book. And it was that 57% of evangelical Christians now say there's more than one way to God other than through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's amazing when you consider that Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so I wrote this book to help Christians reclaim what is the foundation of our faith, that right. there aren't many ways to God. There's one way to God, and it's through faith in Christ.
1: Yeah, I've always found that strange in how, I mean, you don't have to agree with Christianity if you don't want to, but this is the Christian message, and it's pretty clear. Yes. Right, so, but, but it is interesting, and I think maybe it's the culture we live in that has sort of morphed this idea in people's minds.
0: It is. I think we've allowed people to intimidate us into believing that to tell a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist that their religion will not lead them to heaven but to hell, we allow ourselves to think that that's a hateful message or an intolerant message. But when you think about it, if there really is one way to heaven, that's the most loving thing you could share with somebody. Uh, not long ago, I was on a plane, I was seated next to a guy, and he knew I was a pastor, and he said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I gave it up. And I said, well, why did you give it up? He said, I could no longer worship a God who was so intolerant as to say, there's only one way to come to Him. And I said to him, just imagine this plane we're on were to suddenly crash. The cabin started filling up with smoke. The flight attendant stood at the front of the plane, waving a flashlight, saying, follow me, there's one way out of this burning airplane. Would you accuse her of being intolerant and hateful because she insisted there was one way out? No, you would follow her, and you would thank her.
1: Now that is an interesting way of of thinking. I've never heard anybody give that analogy. I think, you know, when you you look at culture, and you look at culture the last five to ten years, and you look at that statistic...
0: Are you surprised at all when you look at what's going on in the world and I'm not really surprised by it because a lot of this waffling and wavering on this issue starts in the pulpits. I mean, you can look on television all the time and see a major mega church pastor, and he's being interviewed by a secular host, and invariably the question comes around to this topic, you know, well, what about those who don't believe in Jesus? Are you saying Hindus, Muslims, blah, blah, blah are Go going to hell? And the pastor many times breaks out in a cold sweat and begins to stutter and stammer and says, well, I don't know, and only God can judge. Well, the problem with that is God has already made His judgment on that. He has said there is only one way to Himself, and I just wrote this book. Not all roads lead to heaven to help people realize this is not a message of hate; it's a message of hope. When Jesus said there is one way to come to God, He didn't do that to keep people out of heaven, right. But to invite them. in.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. You you do a lot of media appearances, and of you're course, you're going to do Bill
0: O'Reilly tonight. <laughs> there you
1: go, right? You do, you're doing it from here, uh-huh. from Nashville. Um, and when you and when you make your comments, you don't seem to be somebody who tries to shield what you want to say. You say what you want to say, and people make what they want to make out of it. And and there's going to be controversy sometimes. And
0: and I feel confident in doing that as long as I'm standing on the truth of God's word. Now, when it's Robert Jeffress' opinion versus what the Word of God says, well, I don't have that same assurance. And that's why I'm so confident in the message of this book. Not all roads lead to heaven, because it is the essence of what the Bible teaches. You know. Uh, A lot of times we're guilty of serving the God we wish existed instead of the God who actually exists. My friend David Jeremiah tells about a woman who came to him after a sermon and said, Dr. Jeremiah, I just want you to know that the God I serve wouldn't send people to hell just for not believing in Jesus. And he surprised her by saying, you're right, madam. The God you serve wouldn't do that because the God you serve doesn't exist. We need to be sure we're following the God who really exists instead of the God of our imagination. What
1: is your central hope, your your biggest hope of what people will take away from the book?
0: Well, two things. I hope people will read Not All Roads Lead to Heaven and equip themselves with the answers of why God and Jesus Christ really is the only way to God and that they'll reclaim that belief for themselves and teach it to their children. But I also wrote the book, especially as we enter into the Easter season, so that people could take this book and use it as a way to share their faith. Maybe they know somebody of another religion and they've been hesitant to approach them. They didn't want to seem hateful. They didn't know what to say to them. Well, here's a great book around Easter time to give a friend and say, you know, I'd like to share with you why my faith is so important to me. You don't have to say anything else. Just give them the book. I guarantee the title, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, will grab their attention. (laughs) And it could spark a conversation.
1: Now, let me just ask you a little bit about politics, because okay. we are living in a very interesting time right now, yes. and we have this Donald Trump factor of, of Donald Trump surging. And there's been a lot of headlines over the past year um, sort of casting doubt. People saying, is he a Christian? Is he not a Christian? He says he is. And, you know, and, and really, that's between him and God. But, but it is fascinating because evangelicals generally have, and I, I've been one my whole life have certain requirements they expect in a candidate, right? Right. And this has pretty much always been the case, at least for the past few decades. Donald Trump does seem to break the barriers on some of that um, when it comes to what you would expect evangelicals to do.
0: Well, that's what I'm getting ready to talk about on O'Reilly tonight. I mean, in the South Carolina primary, to have him winning by eight points over Ted Cruz, who is the perfect model of an evangelical candidate. I think it shows that Americans and evangelicals are willing to think outside of the box for the kind of candidate they want. You know, Bloomberg did a poll right before South Carolina, and it asked South Carolinians which candidate best uh, represents your values. Trump was at the bottom. But then it asked the question, which candidate do you think could best secure our national homeland security or challenge the Washington establishment or reinvigorate reinv- the economy? Trump was at the top. That's People are looking for leadership. One thing I'd remind your listeners, in 1980, you're too young to remember 1980, but America was at the bottom, inflation, interest rates sky high, the military falling apart. We had 50 hostages being held in Iran. America had a choice that year. One candidate for president was a genuinely born-again Christian who taught Sunday school in his Baptist church. He had been faithfully married to one woman. His name was Jimmy Carter. The second candidate was a twice married Hollywood actor who as governor of California had signed the most liberal abortion bill in California history and his wife practiced astrology and used it to influence him. His name was Ronald Reagan. Guess who the Evangelicals went for? They overwhelmingly chose Ronald Reagan. Yes, faith is an important consideration, but it's not the only consideration when choosing a president. And when America's in the shape it's in today, I think there's a strong feeling among evangelicals we just need to leave.
1: That's interesting. So there's a little historical lesson there. Absolutely. That, that's interesting about Reagan, and I think people forget. Yeah, and, they, and there's a narrative around Reagan, maybe that isn't and one that. that has
0: grown through the years, you <laughs> right. know, uh, uh, right. since he was here. He was not known at the time as a particularly religious candidate. I'm not saying he wasn't a Christian, right. but it was Jimmy Carter who ran on the I'm Born Again.
1: Right, and he and he has still taught Sunday school. since Absolutely, Jimmy absolutely. Um, that's interesting. That's really, and, I mean, it is true. Like the traditional thing is that they're going to go for the people like Ted Cruz, evangelicals, right? But but there may be times, and I do think, look. The political correctness, the aura of political correctness that we've had, the, the feeling that the country is maybe off kilter in some way, that that may be, as you're saying, sort of superseding any of the other elements
0: that... And here's another thing at work. And full disclosure, I like Ted Cruz. He's spoken in my church before. His dad has taught in my church before. I like Donald Trump. I've introduced him at rallies before and prayed for him. But I think here's another thing that is making Christians more open to a secular candidate like Trump. I think the same sex marriage ruling last June probably did more to make Christians open to a secular candidate than anything. And the reason is, I think that ruling kind of signaled the final loss in the culture wars, at least on a governmental level. I think a lot of Christians are saying, okay, if we can no longer depend upon the government to uphold biblical values, let's let the churches and individual Christians do that, and let's just look to government to solve practical problems like economic stagnation or immigration or homeland security, and if that's all government's going to do, we don't need a spiritual giant to do that. We just need a good leader.
1: That's interesting. So. Like, after that happened, it sort of changes the narrative maybe of what how Christians look at politics. Absolutely. And maybe, look, maybe that's a, there's been a lot of talk about the culture war not being successful. And there was another interview today in which somebody said to me, you know, look, that first culture war from the right waging, the you know, the right waging that war has sort of yielded one by the left now. And the left has been very successful yes. with their version of a culture war, which I think the culmination of that was, you know, you know, the Supreme Court ruling. So that's fascinating. Um, do you think and I don't want to put you in a weird position of judging somebody's faith, but do you think that Trump is, you know, being legitimate in his discussions about faith, being authentic, I guess that's a better word.
0: Look, I think Donald Trump, from my personal conversations with him, has a real heart for evangelical Christians. I think he's very sincere when he says he believes that Christians are being martyred around the world and they're being marginalized in America. And I believe he wants to put a stop to that. And I tell people, look, you know, I really am confident that if Donald Trump becomes president, evangelicals will have a friend in the White House. You know, I think our expectations of a president somewhat have changed after seven years of Barack Obama. I think a lot of evangelicals no longer require their president to be exactly like them. They just want one who doesn't hate them like the current president seems to.
1: That's interesting. And looking for that person who's going to lead them regardless of whether or not. That could be a whole new... Era right. of politics sure. for for Absolutely. evangelicals and how they respond. Um, there was something that Bill Donahue said about you the other day. I don't know if you saw this.
0: I just saw it today. Yeah,
1: I just saw it today as well. And, and he had sent a press release out, um, calling you an anti-Catholic bigot, basically, and going after you with the whole thing with Trump and the Pope. Um, how do you react to that response of him sort of going after you? But also, the bigger issue that I'm interested in is where you stand on that. You know. We know what the Pope said and we know how Donald Trump responded yeah.
0: to it. Bill Donahue's quote about me the Catholic Church is a made-up quote. I don't I he probably got it from someplace that made it up saying that the Catholic Church is quote the voice of Satan, end of quotes. I've never said that. I have said that throughout history there have been some some perversions of Catholicism and false doctrine. That after all, that's why we had a Reformation. But the truth is we all started out as Catholics. We were all part of one church, and uh, I have many great Catholic friends. I believe there'll be millions of Catholics in heaven who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. You know, nobody goes to heaven as a group though. Not all Catholics are in heaven, or not, not all Baptist, Baptists not are in heaven. Right, I mean, right. We go one by one, but I love Catholics. I believe, uh, frankly, uh, I've got a lot more in common with Catholics than I do with a lot of other even mainline Protestants who don't stand on the authority of Bibles. Well,
1: it's interesting you bring that up because the mainline denominations have have really suffered the biggest decline. When you look at the Pew study, yeah, um, they had and Catholics were number two, but and, and that may be because of. The controversies and the scandals and all that but with the main line everyone says it's because the theology is not in line with what it should be that they have fallen away and everything from the Trinity down to gay marriage and everything else Um, so that's fascinating but yeah I I wanted to ask for your response on that but then also this debate over I mean were you surprised that the Pope kind of jumped in to that?
0: Well I I did a lot of things on Fox about that after it happened and look to be fair to the Pope I mean he was kind of baited into that question and there's a context to it I think the Pope is sincere. I think he's just sincerely wrong in his bottom-line belief that there's something unChristian about building walls. I mean, after all, God told Nehemiah in the Old Testament (laughs) to build a wall around Jerusalem. The purpose of that wall was not to keep the Jews from going outside, but to keep the enemies from coming inside. And I do think the Bible teaches government has a legitimate function of protecting its citizens from evil doers. So, I think the Pope was just wrong about that. I believe he's very sincere. I think in a strange way, this helped Donald Trump. I mean, his, his points went up in South Carolina. And he probably knew that. I, he's a smart guy, Donald right, uh, He's a very smart guy. And I think the reason is, as much as Americans uh, respect the Pope, uh, when it comes to developing policies to keep America safe, They trust Donald Trump more than they do Pope Francis.
1: Um, And you had said that you had this quote about not selling your, you know, you don't need to sell your soul as an evangelical to vote for Donald Trump. There are a lot of evangelicals who, there are some who have said, even though that support is high, other Christians are sort of like, I don't know, I don't like this, there's something about this I don't like. Um, Why do you think you don't have to sell your soul?
0: Well I think as a Christian, I want to know, okay, what does the Bible say about how I should vote? What does the Bible say about voting? And the simple answer is nothing. Because voting didn't exist when the Bible was written. And so you have to come up with your own criteria. Certainly faith is important. You know, the Bible says when the godly rule, the people rejoice. But it's not the only thing that's important. I mean, leadership is important. I want to look for a president who's led something before who's built something, not somebody who's just made speeches. I think electability is an issue. I would just say to Christians listening to this podcast, it's all right for everybody to have different opinions about for whom to vote. I've told my own church, have any opinion you want to, but let's don't bring our partisan politics into the church. When we come inside the church, we ought to be talking about the only leader that can make a real difference, and that's Jesus Christ.
1: And one of my last questions for you, because I, this was back in November, the, the Islam comments, which It was a sermon that you had delivered, and I'm always intrigued by when a sermon in a church, people see it, and and then people outside get upset about it, and then you have media outlets calling you and saying, what were you saying in this sermon at the church? What did you mean by this? Yes. Um, And a lot of commentators on that were saying, well, you know, I may not have said it that way, but it is true. Like, a lot of Christian commentators, I agree. What he said is sort of the theology that... And and it was, you know, Islam is a false religion inspired by Satan. That's the... Right. So... Were you surprised by the reaction to that?
0: No, I wasn't. And interestingly, it wasn't a full sermon. It was about 10 minutes worth of comments I made before my sermon. It was the Sunday after the Paris massacre. And people were very frightened. They were confused about what was going on. And I felt like I needed to address that subject and uh, talk about the danger of radical Islam. And look, I believe Islam is a false religion based on a false book written by a false prophet. And I know people think, well, when you say inspired by Satan, that's over the top. Look, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, don't be surprised if Satan doesn't appear as an angel of light to deceive people and that his servants also appear to be servants of righteousness. You know, Muhammad claims that an angel gave to him the revelation that resulted in Islam. I don't doubt that for a moment. But I believe the angel wasn't from God. I think it came from Satan. That is simply what scripture says. If you really believe Islam is a false religion that won't lead people to heaven, but will lead them to hell, of course, it's inspired by Satan.
1: And I thought it was interesting. I mean, you, you were always open. You went and did interviews. You talked about it after. Um, and when when there's, because you're in a unique position, when you have a, a church, a large church, and you're a, a mega church pastor, um, and then something's public, how does that go in the church? How do people react to that? Is it surprising to them? Are they? Uh, they've gotten used to it. They've gotten used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, yes, because you are very vocal and you're out there. And, and
0: and again, I want to make sure that my opinions that I share are rooted in Scripture and not just Robert Jefferson shooting his mouth off. You
1: know. Well, that's why I said it was interesting because I, I talked to people about that because we had covered that story too. I and, and people and people had said, well, you know, I mean, there's not I don't disagree with the theology of that statement, you know, and and so, it's it's a fascinating thing when you ha- when you have that sort of public square conversation about something like that. Now, did you hear from any Muslims who were upset?
0: I believe we did, and they wanted to come and dialogue and so forth, and we say, look. Muslims are free to come and enter our church and worship with us. They're more than welcomed. Uh, uh, a few years ago, when I was preaching on what the Bible teaches about homosexuality, you know, we had a couple of hundred protesters outside, and we took them coffee and donuts. We invited them to come into our church. And Did any of them listen. come in? Yes. And amazingly, I got a letter from them who said, you know, I came to listen thinking I was going to disagree and hate you but said you were so compassionate in what you said and the way you presented it said you really made me start to think.
1: Now that's interesting. Yeah. Well listen, this has been great. And oh, we'll make sure we link out to your book yeah, and people please get a chance do. to check it out. I
0: love the plays. I love reading you guys all the thanks time. A so thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
1: Well, We'll definitely have you back.